Hello everyone, it is Saturday, April 15th. Welcome to Pop Goes the Girls, where we, two sisters born a decade apart, take a foray through our respective journeys through pop culture. I'm Daisy Kosh. And I am Chelsea Davidson. This episode is not sponsored by Irresistible <laughs> Old Fashioned Potato Chips Cheese and Roasted Onion Flavor. Despite the fact that I have, <laughs> I am continuing to eat. This is my yeah. second bowl. Yes. And we hadn't even started recording. Anyway, each week we will talk about pop culture artifacts that have shaped us and why they're memorable. We also have a fan theory fight club where we argue the merits or detriments of some of the fan theories surrounding interpreting different pop culture items. And lastly, we'll play a quick round of Twist the Sister where one of us loves something that the other hates, and we'll open it up to a poll for you, our lovely listeners, to decide which sister is right. It's always me, right? Whatever Daisy you need to win. tell yourself to get through the night. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be the one to squash that dream. Uh-huh. So, very important. Last week we spoke about Drew Barrymore films. Yes. This this week is our second half of the Drew Barrymore Fortnite. Yes, I was going to say da, we, made, da, we decided da, da. to make, we decided to make it a Fortnite. Okay. Because so she has so many wonderful it. works. Let's get into it. Um so for our pop culture artifact for this week, we decided on Whip It. Men, hold on to your cookies. It's the Hurl Scouts. Number 99. Girl Scouts have come in last place three years running. Isn't this, wasn't this her directorial debut? I think well? it might have been. I think this might have been the first film she directed. Yes. And uh, Whip It, for me, I don't know about you, just to kind of jump into when I watched Whip It, you made me watch Whip It yet again. Yeah, because, I liked Whip It. Yeah. It had more of a profound impact on you, so I think yeah, this is well, more about you. I turned around, I remember I came into your room when you were watching and I was like, what the hell is this? And El, uh, well, Elliot Page at the time, Ellen Page, was on the cover in mm -hmm. a derby outfit, and I was like, this looks really gritty and cool, because that was my mindset. Yeah, everything's and rough and tumble <laughs> with Daisy. Yeah, so I was like, what's this? And you were like, oh, it's a story about a girl who doesn't uh, want to be a part of beauty pageants, and she ends up joining a bunch of girls who are in roller derby, and I was mm -hmm. like, okay. Yeah. And I put it in. <laughs> started yeah, watching. It was, it was kind of cool for me, because... I mean, I knew what roller derby, roller derby was, um, but I... It's not mainstream by any means. It means. wasn't mainstream. It it's felt, not mainstream now. It still isn't, no. But it felt kind of like a resurgence of it just because of the movie, which was nice. Yeah. But it's still very much an indie film. Yeah. Um, anyway, what was the impact? Because you had more For me, I love that I it was very much like a girl power with a great ensemble of people. Like, you, you have people like mm -hmm. Eve in it, you've got Juliet Lewis, you got Drew Barrymore... Who isn't her name like Smashly in it? Like it's so funny yeah. because they all have their names because they're supposed to be like intimidating women. Smash, and boom, bang, that yeah, kind of sort of yeah, thing. yeah. Um, but yeah, I already liked Ellen Page's work because of Juno, mm -hmm. and uh, which we've spoke about before. Yeah, and because of Juno was why I was like, this is the same person. I want to watch this. This so is this it is a pregnant teenager decided to join the roller derby. Yeah, it pulled me in really quick. <laughs> And, uh, very quickly, I was just like, oh my god, it's Mar from Home Alone, because, is his name Daniel Stern or David Stern? Plays her dad. Daniel. Daniel? Yeah. Yeah. Daniel Stern plays her dad, who's Mar from Home Alone, if anyone's seen Home Alone. And then you had Marsha Gay Harden, who, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of her, just because I, I don't... She always plays an asshole. Yeah, I don't <laughs> like 
the people she plays, so it's hard for me to but like she's good. her. She's good at playing yeah. them, so yeah. I think she's a great actress. But, so in it, when she's playing her mom, and she's making her do all the beauty pageants, and she's kind of really got sick of it, because... It, it's one of those towns where all the girls are in beauty pageants, and she's like, God, I hate the shit. Very traditional gender roles, and, um... Yeah. Yeah. The girls have to be ladies. And, yeah. And the boys get to do whatever the hell they want. Which, for me, when watching it, I was like, God, I, I would want to run away, too, and join a roller derby crew. But, yeah, for me, I love the ensemble. I love the girl power. And, and I also... I am, as you know, I'm very much a clean person. Like, I was... Yeah, there's an ongoing joke that mom talks about was that I was the baby that had to have a washcloth next to myself on, like, the high chair because I'd eat my Cheerios or I'd eat my pasta or whatever. And then wipe your hands. And then I'd have to wipe my hands because I hated the feeling of that. And I'm very much still that way. I don't like gross, you know, messes. I don't like stickiness. I'm... It always freaks me out a bit. And it is one of the few times that I see a food fight in a movie Mm -hmm. where... For me, I wasn't entirely grossed out by it, but, like, my normal amount of grossed out. But I also love that it wasn't so juvenile to have, like, you know when kids have a food fight and they make it seem like it's just chaos and nuts? When there's a food fight in this, I felt like it was very fun. Like, this felt authentic to the fact that they were, like, gritty women. And a food fight was exactly how they were going to get their aggressions out. You know, they were going to throw a pie at each other. To make themselves feel better. <laughs> and it works for it. It feels authentic to to the moment. What I've learned from doing this podcast with you is that you're an extremely aggressive person. You really <laughs> just want to punch someone more than anyone I've ever known. I should be afraid of violence. <laughs> but I haven't. That's the thing. I, I bottle it up and I get it in by watching movies where yeah. other people do it for me. But yeah, I love that it was gritty, and it was a movie that, at different times for me, it feels like that awkward and uncomfortableness that you do tend to feel with an indie movie, because I feel like they're more grounded in reality. They don't have that, like, sheen of Hollywood on it, which Mm -hmm. I think is really common with indie movies, that they are more authentic and gritty. And I like that, and I felt like... Raw in production, raw in story. Yeah, and I felt that it kind of contributed to the um, grounding the story in reality. Because even though it is a little crazy to think that a girl would go from being a beauty pageant girl to being like, I'm going to go join the roller derby, it feels natural Mm -hmm. when you watch it. And I like that. I liked that Juliette Lewis gets to be a villain because I always, I do like when Juliette Lewis was kind of nice and sweet in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. But Juliette Lewis really shines when she's... The person that you're like, oh, God, this woman again. And and she does it well. I think she does, at least. But yeah, for you, what was it for you with Whip It? It didn't have the same sort of impact. Like, I, I like Whip It. <laughs> like, it, it's a good movie. But it's I, I think I hit an age when I watched it that I was too old for it to be, like, very impactful for me. But it was good. Like, all, all the things you said were are right. Um, I look for the uh, father-daughter relationship in it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because he understands her better than the rest of the family. (laughs) Yeah. I think if you're a young girl coming up and you just, you don't feel like you fit into a... Box. Barbie-like atmosphere. Barbie box. (laughs) The Barbie box doesn't fit you. Yeah. Or you don't fit the Barbie box. Then, uh, yeah, it might be a movie that you would enjoy. Um, but yeah, it is. It's very raw, and like you said, there's a, a, a little bit of lended authenticity just because of the fact that it is an independent film and it doesn't look glossy and pretty. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, I, I really liked it. How would you feel it impacted you, though? And, and speaking... You said, you said it didn't impact you much, but how, in any way, did you, do you feel impacted? Uh, two hours passed. That's how I feel. I was this should have been our twist, the sister, because yeah, no, it was okay for our pop culture okay. artifact. You seem very, very un unfazed. I don't, I don't hate it if that's what you're trying to say. No, I just, it's, it's okay. It's not my favorite, but I think it was a really good directorial debut. For, oh yeah, for Drew Barrymore, if that yeah. in fact is her debut, which I think, I think it, it, is. it is. Yeah, yeah. All right, so. And I think she Tell did a good me. job of encapsulating the like woman's experience in Derby because a lot of. You, yeah, I've seen, like, different news stories and stuff about Derby Girls and them... I don't I, know really much about it. And I it, don't know if, it's, and it if feels, that's true. And it feels like she kind of gave you a peek into their culture. Like peek a peek behind the curtain. Yeah, of what it was to be them. Which was cool. Them, I which like I think is, is also refreshing. Yeah, it's a nice 101, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me your fan theory because so I, I would I'm like, excited and I'd, I don't know this theory. I would I would even argue that this is not necessarily a theory but it's more just an alternate perception. So our movie that we will be discussing is Fifty First Dates. Lucy Whitmore can I ask you a question? Do you have any idea who I am? No. No? That sucks. I don't know about you, but I love, love, love Fifty First Dates. It's one, of, one of my favorite Sandler-Barrymore combos. It's great. Uh, I would even argue at times it's better than The Wedding Singer with some of the stuff that happens. Not sure about that, but it's great. Well, you trade in Steve Buscemi for uh, Rob Schneider. And you can do it! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, for me, is a very good trade-off, because they're both hilarious men. Anyway, so the theory is that Fifty First Dates is not, in fact, a romantic movie. It is, in fact, a horror story about a man who stalks a disabled woman. <laughs> and this is why. Okay, so, never mind. Um, I don't like this theory at all. Yeah, I I actively was having <laughs> some dissonance. Part. I was having some cognitive dissonance <laughs> as I was researching the theory. Mm -hmm. So basically, the theory talks about how Henry basically stalks Lucy. She's incapable of remembering him, so she's going to mm -hmm. forget that he's stalking her constantly. Yeah, a little quick recap, he, in case anybody hasn't seen Fifty First Dates. Basically, what is what it is about... Adam Sandler is in love with Drew Barrymore. He, hold on, you need to start off with the fact that Adam Sandler is a huge player in Hawaii, and he, he goes from woman to woman, and then all of a sudden he sees Lucy, who's Drew Barrymore, one day. But he's not happy, which is kind of key to this. Yeah. Um, yeah, meets Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore is... They have, like, a really awesome meet-cute, and he wants to see her again. Well, he ends up seeing her the next day or a couple days later. At the exact later, same place. At the exact same restaurant. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go and, and talk to her again. Continue and she acts like she has no clue who he is. And he's super confused. And she's not acting because she has brain damage. Yes. She, and so as a result... What she finds out about through the restaurant owner, she basically is living the same day over and over again, Groundhog Day, for herself. Because she has a brain injury that she did, she wakes up every day thinking it's, it's like, like October 11th or something like, like that. It's like a reverse Groundhog Day because everybody else knows that the day has changed. Yeah, she, does she has not. no idea. Yeah. Anyway, um, we'll leave it at that. We'll, that's enough to understand the context. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. So he orchestrates different uh, meet-cutes. And when I was looking at it, they call them creepy meet-cutes. I thought some of them were quite sweet. Uh, and manipulates her into falling in love with him. 
and Lucy is kind of trapped in a prison made of time, and it's controlled by all of the men in her life. You have Adam Sandler's character, her dad, her brother, Sean Astin. They are the ones that kind of control this every day. You know, they, they put a little drop extra in her shampoo bottle so she thinks it's the same. They rewrap the gift because it's her, supposed to be her dad's birthday that she relives every day. So they have to rewrap the gifts that he opens every day. They have to remake the cake that he has every day. It's a day. really bad day for her to have to. Yeah, it's a really redo. it's a shit day to have to repeat over and over again because this guy's gonna be turning fifty for about fifty years. Mm-hmm. Um, but the it's all they also talk about how um, there's other issues with it because Lucy will eventually wake up and give birth with no memory at all of how she got pregnant. Or any of the pregnancy, because she'll just wake up and be huge and go into labor. Because some labors as well last over 24 hours. It begs the question, if she goes to sleep at all in those 24 hours, she'll wake up I and be even more confused again. I don't think she's going to sleep. I didn't think so either, but it was one of the things that was mentioned. Um, she also will spend nine months waking up and discovering she's pregnant. Yeah. And not know, why the hell do I have a giant stomach? But I, I think to a certain extent that would be really helpful to Sandler's character because when he tries to tell her that they're in love she don't believe him but if, if he says that's my baby and she's pregnant I think there might be but I, it'd question, be scary. Isn't, that, isn't that more awful for her and traumatic for her oh yeah anyway this kid's um, going through trauma every day yeah this poor fetus uh and also if her dad dies or anyone for that matter dies she'll have to learn that every morning yeah again um, and Henry can also use all of his knowledge of Lucy over time to paint himself as the perfect man, basically. Like, if he does something really shit one day, she'll yeah. go to sleep and forget about it tomorrow, and he can pretend that never happened. And he also kind of creates situations that force her to interact with him. So what you're saying is this is going to be a perfect marriage, yeah. because she'll remember none of what he's done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's also, it also begs the question, can she even love him? Can Lucy love Henry based on the fact that she lived, like, unless you believe in the whole love at first sight thing, she has to fall in love with him every day. Yeah. At the very most, wouldn't you be in, like, deep like with someone? Like, you'd have to have a really packed day of, you know, every day's a big song and dance to get someone to fall in love with you every day. Uh, also, her brother and dad, like I said before, they kind of Groundhog Day, or as you said, she experiences reverse Groundhog Day. Uh, her without her knowing it or giving her the option to have a different life, because what if she woke up and she didn't want to, you know, live the same day? Which kind of ends up being a part of the movie, that she does change that and she doesn't want to live the same day. Um, but also most of the people in her town are mm-hmm. in on deceiving her. Yeah. Um, she also is going to be a terrible mom, because she's not going to remember anything about her kids. She's not going to remember... So what's the theory? The she- theory is what? Is it's that it's a horror movie like this? You're you're painting it as romantic because Adam Sandler's well, making her fall in love with him. But thanks, it's but it's but no really thanks. a horror movie. I'm and also, she'll wake up one day and she will have aged. It's kind of like in Freaky Friday, you know, when she's like, "Oh, I'm like the Crypt Keeper," and because oh, they the bodies. Yes. Yeah, with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Um, but she'll wake up and she'll think, "Oh, I'm 30 years old," and she'll look in the mirror and she'll be 60. Yeah. You know, and that'll really freak her out. Uh, and they also talk Hate about how he basically kidnaps her. That's how 60-year-olds feel. He kidnaps her. They feel her. like they're one age. They look in the mirror and go, oh, fuck. And then realize that they're not what they feel inside. And the last thing was that he basically kidnaps her at the end of the movie when they're in the Arctic. Because she'll wake up, she'll be like, dude, where am I? It's freezing. But yeah. So the whole theory is basically, it's not going to be a pretty life for Lucy. It's a horror movie, and he is orchestrating it. Well, you've just done a complete shitstorm on that film because 
I like that film. What are you talking about? I, I don't choose... believe the theory at all. I, I hate this theory. Okay, yeah. I think they just wanted to twist it to hurt me because I yeah. love it. I, I think, put the knife in and I then think, twist it. I think he is super romantic in this and I think it actually motivates him more to be a good husband, to be a good boyfriend, to be all like the best man he could be every single day because he has to put his best foot forward for his wife who forgets him every night. So I feel like... We, we both agree on this. I do agree that she's not going to be the best mom, though. She will forget her kids constantly, and uh, that's going to be let, hurtful. Let's both but... agree that we're going to stay in denial about anything that, that, that we've just talked here. about. Yeah. Just Ooh, a hard no, because rewind. we just don't, we don't want it to be. Yeah. We just don't want it. I, I, I take 50 First Dates at face value, romantic, and it actually, there's, um, I don't know if it's a Toronto couple or if it's an American couple, because I saw this it's recently. Is loosely based on a true story? No, 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 no. This, this, oh. hap this happened recently. It came, it kind of, because of TikTok, it went really popular for about a week. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, but this couple, he does basically 50 first dates her because she has a brain injury as well. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. It was a new oh, segment. Melted my heart. He, he does. He does all these sweet things. And it's a benefit for him knowing so much about her because he knows how to help her deal with the news and stuff like that. And I think it's really sweet. I, I think real life 50 first dates as well as the movie is really cute and sweet. I agree. And that's yeah. why I don't like this theory. So I'm yeah, just going like to say either. no. Just no. Sure, you you can believe what you want. You could twist anything to make it what you want it to be. Honestly, so and th on that note, theory works, but doesn't work for us. On the note of twisting, yeah, go on. I'm ready. Yeah, put the screws a, to me. It's been a while, but I since you tried to break down my will. Exactly. Yeah. But I would be the <laughs> one doing the twisting of you. Yeah. Sure. So. I did not know this. I am absolutely gobsmacked. I, I can I just say I want to put a little bit of backstory into this. Let me say what the film you can is. say what the film is, but I want to say something as soon as you're done. Okay, so for Twist the Sister, we have to take something that somebody doesn't like. I repeat, does not like, and try and twist their opinion of it. And Daisy does not like E. T. the extraterrestrial. Oh God! Elliot. What? Elliot? Elliot? Elliot I taught him Elliot, how to talk now. He can Elliot, talk now. Elliot. We're pausing for gasps, by the way. <laughs> there we go. Um, so for me, it's not necessarily that I hate the movie or anything like that. But when, Good. I, when I watched E.T., similar to what happened with Ever After for you, I watched E.T. really young. Mostly because you made me. Um... <laughs> But I think I was, like, four or five when I watched E.T., and I watched it, and I was like, mm, you know, oh, you know, those guys are kind of dicks, they're trying to take him, he's eating some Reese's Pieces, he's really cute. Time for rewatch, I think um, that's what we're saying. Hold on. Uh, and I felt very mediocre about the whole thing. Then, Ugh. I would say probably when I was about 10 or 12, I watched it again, I felt basically the same. I probably should watch it again now that it's been about a decade, um, but I genuinely feel like the story itself, it is lacking, and the reason <sighs> I think that is because I think E.T. is adorable, and I think they do a decent job of trying to get him home, and I think that's really sweet, and that's tender, and oh, that's so, that's awesome, but I genuinely think 
this family, if they gave a shit about him, they should have instantly been trying to get him home. Like, they seem, like, pretty chill for a while, having him hang out with stuffed animals and scare the shit out of Drew Barrymore. Hold on. The, the alien family or or Elliot's family? Elliot's family should have okay. been, like, on that shit, trying to get him home. You, you do understand, you do understand that that was a single mom working. She yeah. She had no idea what was going But they try on. to keep it a secret for ages. As they do. Okay. All right. All anyway. Right. Anyway. I feel like they should have been like on it really quick. Try to get him home because, you know, when you're not at home, you're sad. He's homesick. He wants to go home. Eat, Dave, on home. All that. He wants to help. You know what it was? They were super freaked out by the fact okay. that he could heal them when he cut his finger and they were like, let's keep him. We got a healer. And that's what it really is. Okay. It's a story of how a family should have done more for an alien who should have been home two hours before the end of the movie. Okay, so I I feel like there's a generational problem here. <laughs> I really do. Oh, did you know that Steven Spielberg tried to get M&M's for it and they gave him the brush off, so that's why he did Reese's Pieces, and he's so loyal to Reese's for it. Because, like, Stephen Colbert did an interview and, and he said, oh, would you do I another one? I thought they were M&M's until, he, he's, until later on. He's like, on, would, you do another one, would you do another one with M&M's? And he said, no, they had their chance. So Steven Spielberg is pissed at yeah. M&M's. Oh, and I agree with that. Anyway, sorry. Okay. Sorry, so, I got distracted. All right, so let's start with some things that I feel are more universal, regardless of when you were born. Hmm. Let's start with the score. <laughs> I know that's a weird way to start, but let's start with the score. Everybody loves the score to E.T. I can hear it in my head when I think of certain scenes. Like, there's certain moments where... You know, Everyone knows the... the uh, dun, 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 you know what's dun, weird? Dun, 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 I can dun. hear it's, the theatrical trailer better than I can Williams. hear the movie. I can hear the theatrical trailer. He's lost. <laughs> He's alone. It's, I, can I can hear, hear John that. Williams' music. Like, it's, it's like in... Uh, like, the way you can hear certain... Hans Jesus. Zimmer is like the man for score, so I know what you mean because I there is different Not times. Not Hans Zimmer, John Williams. No, I'm just saying. I hear like, like Star Wars. You hear that is how the way I you hear, hear Hans Zimmer. Scenes, you can hear what's and and I I have that. It's tied in my brain. I can hear like when the the um whatever the hell they are the the feds or whatever are walking around with the keys jingling and they've got the flashlights and stuff like that and all you're seeing basically <laughs> is the lower part of their body which is exactly what you would see if you were a kid or an alien which is genius a genius move but let's let's get past that for a Steven second Silver, you're a genius and no no the cinematographer's a genius the cinematographer's a genius that. and i think it was his first role anyway but that's besides the point so you can hear that, and it's like dun 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 dun. But then, I mean, you can hear in your head as well, like the swelling of the music as like the 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 kids are, are going to take off, and and ET's going to make them fly. But well, we know this now. But they're going to fly over top of those cop cars, and you've got like the anxiety of the dun dun dun. dun. I can't I can't sing for shit, but I I so can what hear you're telling it. me is the man that made dun, Jaws. So I want to get this right. The man that made Jaws da, managed to get da, someone else da, 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 to do a good score for his next project <laughs> that was really huge. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So anyway, you're telling me Spielberg can I pick cry. someone who can make noise. I cry when, when they all go up into the air together. And that, you cry because you love E.T. That music is swelling and you can hear it and you're like, and there's that anxiety in your in your brain where you're just like, are they going to make it? Are they going to make it? Well, I've seen it. But I mean, you still have that feeling because the music hits you right there. I don't feel that at all. Not You're bad. an ice queen, so that's that's besides the point. That There's a reason. True. That is not true. I cry watching Lilo and Stitch. He is lost. We're not talking about Lilo and Stitch today, and we're not talking about I don't about need no Stitch music to cry lost. when I watch Lilo and we're Stitch. We're talking about I need e. being lost. Yeah. Different aliens. Stay focused. Okay, then we have the logo. Amblin, which is Steven Spielberg's production company, 
its logo is E.T. It's the little, little Elliot on so a bike. you're telling me I should love it because Steven Spielberg loves it enough to make it part that, of his production When thing? you see that logo, you think quality. I think That's... of a flying friggin' bike. <sighs> okay. Well, you want to know why? Because you see a flying friggin' bike. For most people, except for some people. It is instantly recognizable because it's his goddamn movie. It's instantly recognizable of innocence and, and purity and spiritedness and just, like, the spirit of adventure that they have. Do you know how scary and, it is to fly when oh, you're on a bike? Oh, my God. But they're innocent, so they don't feel scared. They're young. They feel invulnerable. That kid is bricking it when that thing starts flying. He looks like, holy shit, I'm in the air! He does. You're right about that. Okay. Yeah. That kid is not innocent. Okay. That kid's like, shitting himself. Another point. Another he, he's point got a lot. He's got a, what is it called? A train track? The friggin' line in the back of his undies when he stops and lets that alien go into the mothership. What did you call it? What is it? Railroad tracks? What's Skid it called? Marks? Skid marks. Yeah. A train track? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he's got train tracks in his pants. Yeah. All right. So I think it has some of the best child acting ever on film. It, and, and this is a film that completely hinges on the kids being good actors. If they were not good actors, the whole so film would be. you know who they thought? Apart. Drew Barrymore. Exactly. This is, yeah. And this is why we're talking about E.T., because it is Drew Barrymore's first film. Anyway, these kids are absolutely oh. incredible. The Firestarter was Okay, it's one of her first films. Yeah, it's early Drew Barrymore. And, and Just I as good as like, Drew Barrymore. I love like, the authenticity between the kids as well. It's what kids would actually say to each other. Like... Some movies will do this, like, nice version of what kids say to each other. Because and, and they don't remember what it's like being a kid. Because they don't remember what it's like. But, I mean, when, <laughs> when he turns around and he calls him a penis breath, and, like, that just got included in the film, that is genius, because that is pretty much what would happen. Like, it's it reads as real. It does feel real. And there's another point. Authenticity. The authenticity of this film is incredible. And there's very little need, really, to suspend That's your right. disbelief. The, the movie about an alien who eats Reese's Pieces and is on a flying bike is rooted and grounded in reality and yes. authenticity. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Rooted in some good earth there. Yeah. Yeah. And and you don't have to you suspend your disbelief. You know the listeners can hear the madness. Yes. They can hear that this you is are what I'm insane. I'm going to say that. Like, it People is, will tell me you need to be committed. It has been branded as a science fiction film, but I feel like it's very little of either. I really do. I, if, if somebody said, you know, an alien, f uh, you know, fell to Earth from somehow and a kid found him and it ended up in the news and then played that like a documentary, you would believe it because it feels so real. It's incredible. It's really, really incredible. All their reactions are incredible. Like what you said, like you kind of just proved your point. The fact that when he does initially go up into the air, he's scared. And when he lands, he doesn't land smoothly. And all of that so is So he's real. not having kids either. E.T. is the closest he's going to become. Okay. Closest now he's we're going to be into the generational stuff. Now we're getting into the generational stuff. So this film is set in the 1980s. Filmed in the 1980s. Captures the feeling of being a kid at that time. So you're, you're feeding on. into the fact that we both are... Hold uh, What on. I call nostalgia and you call... A lot of what I experienced <laughs> as a generational cohort... <laughs> spans from the 80s to about the mid-90s. So I fit well into this sphere. You do not. You are. I do. I fit perfectly. You are younger. Just like you. I just don't support one movie and all of a sudden it I'm evil. It completely taps into the mix of emotions of that time period and the reality of what you would do as a kid in that time period. What you did as a kid doesn't exactly match up with what I did as a kid. It's not the same. It's close, but it's not the same. So because I didn't have a Tamagotchi, I don't understand. Oh 
Yes. Yeah. You don't understand what it was like keeping something alive. I don't understand alive. the anamoya of having I, a Tamagotchi. I had to keep, I had to keep E.T. alive on don't my e- Tamagotchi. Don't even get me started with this. Mom tells me all the time that you went to school one yeah. day and you left it with her and she's like, I had to spend like six hours keeping that thing alive. Oh, yeah. No, my mother got addicted. My mother got addicted to it and then she just kept you it. You know what it was? It was easier than trying to raise us. It was oh, trying to God. raise the Tamagotchi. Yeah, she got hooked on it. I never got my Tamagotchi back. It was hers. But yeah, you do have to be old enough to relate to this film, and I think that is where it starts to fall apart for you, because I think you are a little bit too young, and I know that sounds like a cop-out, but it actually, I think, is true. So, the connection. So you're going for the same argument as you made for Seinfeld. I'm too young to understand. I still think you're too young to understand Seinfeld. So the connection between Elliot and E.T. is beyond profound. They are both underdogs in this environment. Remember what I said about the fact well, that we just it's said shot? we just said he's going to be his like surrogate son because of how he landed on the bike. He, he's not going to get to be a father. <laughs> so the way it's shot is like the perspective of a child, but also the perspective of an alien who's that short. Yeah. So they have the same worldview in that way, which is genius. It's a visual way of kind of connecting them already, but. You, they're also underdogs in their environment because one is a kid because one is alien, no one takes them ser- seriously and if they do they just they kind of look at them as a thing to be dealt with not a thing to be spoken to or, or no dialogue to. yes and they figure shit out together on their level no one is like an MIT professor they're using like speaking spells to try and fi- do you know what a speaking spell is? yeah I think so Okay. Okay. So it's it's like this little thing that they would put in like letters and yeah. Okay. It was a toy in the eighties. Anyway, grown ups are the, essentially the bad Isn't guys. Isn't that what they what um, which is true Stephen for Hawking kids. used for a bit? Kind of like a speaking spell. No. No. There's something I watched where they yeah. use a speaking spell, kind of similar to Stephen no, Hawking. No. Stephen thing. Hawking had more advanced technology. Yeah, he had than a more advanced spell. one. No, there was something <laughs> that was like that. Um, anyway, I'm getting distracted. But I'm yeah, trying so, to remember that. So grown ups are essentially. Anyway, most films. I. In short, no. Baytown Atlaws was where they used to speak and spell. I'm back. I've lost your I'm focus good. completely. So that's a good. Movie. In short, most films usually hit one one note. They're aiming to you know make you laugh, make you cry, um, make you feel thrilled or excited. And this film doesn't feel like it's reaching to do those things. It just naturally combines all of them. And I think it is a cinematic masterpiece. I don't understand what's wrong with you. You need therapy. That is the moral of the story. Because I know you're... Just because you, your stubborn little ass is going to say, no way, Jose, I'm not changing my, my mind. My problem for me is I tend to like something more when you have moments in it that are, like, single, like, profound little I things. I like a whole. I like the whole thing to be good. You, yeah. And you're like, I need a 30-second segment that I can talk about no. for the rest of my days. No, I think... Like, I think movies are, like, a compilation of moments anyway, so I think it's important that when you watch something, there's something that when you watch it in a moment that you get, like, goosebumps or... I have that! I know you have that when you watch E.T. And I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't have it. And he gets all the things rotating into, like, a... Like, he takes their science project that they're doing for school and brings it into the the room and rotates the planet. They're like little styrofoam bowls. It's like he's showing them What's happening? It's so cool. Um... But I think because I haven't seen it in a while, for me, there's not any parts of E.T. that give me the chills that you receive, or I think it makes it feel like it's a momentous piece. And that's my issue, because I feel like, sure, cohesive, decent, you know. All I can think is when he starts talking, she teaches him how to talk. Drew Barrymore teaches him how to talk. 
and he's like Elliot, Elliot, and like it takes I do a remember moment. that, and I do think that's so. It sweet. takes a moment. It's a comedic because, moment because she's, she's dressed so, him up like a girl. Yeah, she's but she's wig, also wig on it's ET. so sweet how she's teaching him this in the first place. Because when you think about a Sesame kid, Street, she's using you, Sesame Street. You think about a kid. A kid is not sitting there like I'm going to go teach this other kid stuff. But she takes advantage of the fact that he doesn't know certain things. Like, there's a communication barrier, for her, and she helps he's a doll. I do think that's sweet. For her, he's a doll. And that no, makes sense to a kid. No, not necessarily that he... She dresses him up. Yes, that is the doll for her. But he's not a doll. He's kind of like a surrogate friend for her, because... Her, aren't they her brothers in it? Yeah, she her is bro- the only girl in the her house. Brothers kind besides of, her mom. Her brothers kind of give her the brush off all the time. So yeah. it's like having a surrogate sibling that can relate to you and what you're going through. Okay, so this is the moment where I ask you, I know what the answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Have I twisted you in any way, shape, or form? You've twisted me enough that I will watch it again, Yay. but I can't guarantee yeah, no, that we'll, I will enjoy we'll it anymore. It because back. I've watched it twice, I've and it hasn't you. stuck. I've swayed you like a willow in the breeze. You know, you really haven't. I was already moving in the breeze because I was already thinking about doing it, but after you went on and on and on, I was like, eh, maybe just to see Drew Barrymore teach you how to speak again, I'll just watch it's it. It's a sweet moment. Yeah. If, yeah. So there you go. There's your, your bundle. See? You're you know what always sticks in my mind when I think of E.T.? When he goes in the fridge, because it just reminds me of, like, our fridge, because our fridge is, like, old as the hills. As well, like when he goes in the fridge, yeah, and like the our crisper and everything that we have in our fridge, our really old fridge, it always reminds me of our fridge because he's going through, isn't he looking for food or something? He goes in there, and that's isn't that how he finds the Reese's pieces in the first place? No, he he uses the Reese's pieces to try and get him to come up to his room, yeah, from out in the garage or wherever the hell they are, yeah, but they're in the fridge. Like, I remember the scene of them opening the fridge. Well, he's, and he's going through the fridge, and all I can think connected. of is our fridge. You're thinking it looks about just like our when fridge stay, to me. When he's staying home alone, E.T. Yeah. is, and he gets drunk. Yeah. But the thing is, they're connected, they're bonded so deeply that Elliot is at school, and he's getting drunk as yeah. well. It's amazing. That I mean, there's your science fiction-y part of it, but it's amazing, and it's just, oh, it's the emotional connection, it's the science fiction-y connection. I just love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. You love it? I, can, I, I do, I love it. I cannot believe you okay. don't. Okay, I'll, I'll watch it again. All right, and I, and, and I guess this ends off our Drew Barrymore. Also, love. as a side note, Chelsea's assuming that everyone's seen E.T. If you haven't seen E.T., watch E.T., then you can yes. either agree with me Forget and say, anything or you can agree with Chelsea about. and be like, oh my god, it's the greatest movie of all time, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. But yeah. I mean, you don't have to do that, but I mean, it's just an amazing movie. If you want to do yourself a, a justice, watch the movie. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed our second half of the Drew Barrymore Fortnite, right. and we will be talking to you again next week. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Drew Barrymore. Yes, you are a queen. <laughs> our queen. Have a great week. Bye.